uh, chapter 33, verses 14 through 22. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. He keeps back his soul from the pit, his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also rebuked with pain on his bed and with continual strife in his bones so that his life loathes bread and his appetite the choicest foods. His flesh is so wasted away that it cannot be seen and his bones that were not seen stick out. His soul draws near the pit and his life to those who bring death. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You guys doing well? Outstanding. Good to have you with us. Welcome to Desert Breeze Community Church. Also want to welcome those of you that are on YouTube Live right now. Thank you for joining us. Hearing the voice of God, this is part three, How God Speaks. Quite an interesting text there. Were you following? Very, very fascinating there. Our theme verse for this series has been Matthew 4, 4. Man cannot live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now let's talk a little bit about Job here because that was our text. If you've got your sermon notes, you can follow along. I'll give you a little background here and show you how this ties into what we're going to talk about here this weekend. Job was blameless, upright, feared God, turned away from evil. Job 1.1. It really establishes that fact right from the get-go. And yet, Job experienced overwhelming suffering. And what it tells us in the book there is that you can do all the right things and still suffer. You can still suffer. And the book is about sovereignty of God's suffering and then how we respond to suffering, whether it, it drives us away from God or presses us in closer to God. Job is struggling here in, in this context with God's plan for his life and accuses God of not communicating his plan. And Elihu... Uh, one of the four miserable comforters of Job. Uh, and these guys are miserable in, in, in some ways. Some ways they're speaking the truth, but in other ways they're very legalistic and very moralistic. And they kind of lecture Job rather than really offer a lot of comfort. But there's some truth here to what Elijah or Elihu argues. Elihu argues that God speaks to people in many ways through dreams, visions, and even through pain and sickness, but people do not recognize it. That's true. That's true. Now, here's what's fascinating about the book of Job and what happened to Job is that Job never saw why he was suffering. And yet he saw God, and that was enough. In fact, it tells us there in the, the last chapter, uh, Job 42.5, actually second to the last chapter, it's right there in the end of the book, uh, it says that Job actually says, I had heard of him, but now I have seen him. He had an experience with God. And, and what it teaches us here is that peace and rest is not found by trying to figure your life out, but by trusting the one who has it all figured out for your good and his glory. And, and that's important to keep in mind as we kind of work through this, how God speaks to us. So the will of God is not a plan, 
as much as it is knowing a person. And there's two questions that we need to answer if we are going to successfully navigate not only the difficulties of life, but also the many decisions of life. And these are the two questions we need to answer and really have an understanding of and what the Bible tells us about, about uh, how he speaks to us. Now, now these, two, uh, these two questions also represent the reasons why people defect from the faith. Uh, Two reasons people defect from the faith. They're disillusioned by the problems of life. They can't make heads or tails out of them. They're just like, wow, where's God in all this? I need to know. And what's interesting is that Job never defects from the faith. He keeps bringing his problem back to God and eventually has this encounter with God. The second reason why people defect from the faith is that they are deceived by the decisions of life. They actually think that living outside of God's will is, is more desirable and it will be more satisfying and, and make them happier that's delusional. If you think living outside of God's will will make you happier, you're being deceived. And oftentimes people will, be, will defect from the faith because of that. Those are the two different reasons why people defect from the faith. So let's look at these two questions that we need to have answered for us if we're going to navigate the difficulties of life and the decisions of life. How God or I'm sorry, does God have a plan for my life? That's the first question. Does God have a plan for my life? Second question how does God communicate that plan? So that's what we're looking at here this morning. You guys ready? Let's dive into that first question here. Does God have a plan for my life? What do you guys think? Yes. Absolutely. Jeremiah 29, 11. Anybody know that one? That's a good memory verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. By the way, these folks are in exile. They're in a horrible, terrible situation. They've been drug off from their homeland. And God's saying, hey, I'm still working. I'm still here. I've got a great plan for your life. And, and so that's important to always keep in mind that even in the darkest of days, he is still working. He's still working in our lives. And so he does have a plan for our life. Here's your first couple fill in the blanks on your notes. Yes, it is more of a game plan than a blueprint. It's more of a game plan than a blueprint. So what's the difference between the two? A blueprint spells out everything in great detail. My wife and I built our home uh, over 30 years ago over here off of uh, 43rd Avenue, Union Hills, and while I was on the fire department, and so we got this blueprints, which were pretty big roll of blueprints, and I'm, I'm telling you, every detail, if you've ever seen a blueprint, every detail, every detail about the house. And... Uh, God doesn't lead us like that as much as he leads us like a game plan. A game plan sets general guidelines with an occasional specific play. It's important to know the difference between the two. God is not a restrictor but a liberator. He's not a control freak. He's not a micromanager, though he is in control. So he gives us a lot of freedom. I mean, go back to Genesis. You can eat of any tree of the garden... A lot of freedom there, but do not eat of this one tree. So he's not a restrictor. He's a liberator. He doesn't micromanage us, but he gives us a set of general guidelines with an occasional specific play. Now, let me give you a couple of uh, examples of that. So here would be really a, uh, a general guideline, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Some of you probably know what this verse is. This is the Great Commission. And so the very last words of our Savior to his disciples and also to us, he said, 
said this, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So this, this is God speaking to us as believers that we need to be conscientious about reaching lost people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you've heard God speak to you, he's speaking to you right now. So that is a general guideline that that's what we need to be about. Now, we call it the five G's here at Desert Breeze. It's one of the five G's. It's actually the fourth G of what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And so he's already established that for us. God has spoken to our hearts and to our lives, and he, he certainly is with us as we do that. But then we have an example of, of an occasional specific play found, uh, found in Acts 13, one through four. Listen. Now, in the church of Antioch, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. There's that specific play. Now these guys were already evangelizing. They were already doing Matthew 28, 18 through 20. They were making disciples of all nations. But then God spoke to them and now this is a a specific play for Barnabas and Saul or Paul to be sent out. Now what's fascinating as you, as you follow their story out, when you hit Acts 15, 36 through 40, there's a sharp disagreement that arose between Paul and Barnabas. And those, so they separated from one another. And you're thinking, oh no, what's going on? This can't happen. And, and, and it was really more of a matter of personal conviction and philosophy of ministry because Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement, uh, he was wanting to bring John Mark along with them on their missionary journey, but Paul said, we're not bringing John Mark. The dude abandoned us on the last missionary journey. You know, he's high maintenance, extra grace required kind of a guy, okay? I mean, that's what he was saying. And so they get into this sharp dispute and they split ways and you're thinking, oh no, they're already falling apart right from the get-go. No, God uses that. And the ministry is even expanded further because these guys separate and go on separate missionary trips. And when you follow that out, you go, oh my goodness, the, the impact was greater. So, so the lesson here is that they weren't arguing over uh, theological issues as much as it was more personal conviction. And what we need to do is on debatable issues, everyone needs to cultivate their own convictions. But don't preach your convictions like they're a commandment from God. That's your own personal conviction. And so that's okay to have personal convictions. That's why we have different kinds of churches with different philosophies of ministry because that's a conviction to reach maybe a specific group of people as ours is here. And God can still use that. And that would be kind of more, maybe kind of a specific play of God using our, our particular convictions. Now there's another great example too, Acts 16, six through 10, the Holy Spirit forbids Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So they're now all together on a missionary journey. The Holy Spirit forbids them from, from speaking the word in Asia. So they're already out obeying Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So there's the general guideline. They're being obedient to the voice of God with that commandment, the great commission. And yet, God speaks to them through the Holy Spirit and forbids them from speaking the word in Asia and also from going into Bithynia. And then later, Paul has a vision urging him to go into Macedonia. So, so you, you got examples here 
of the game plan, general guidelines with an occasional specific play. Now, every fully devoted follower of Christ wants to know the will of God when it comes to calling, career, college. Should I stay single? Should I get married? Who should I marry? Should we have children? How many children should we have? Should we homeschool, public school, private school? Where should we live? What should be our standard of living? What church should we be a member of? How involved should we be? And the list goes on. I mean, that's just a short list of all the decisions we have in life. And let me give you a couple of examples of how this has worked out in my life. I've got tons of experience on decision-making, the will of God, and hearing the voice of God. I've been doing this my whole life. And so I'll just show you how it's worked out in my life. Um, I grew up in the church. When I graduated high school, I was serving in that church. I was leading the youth group of the church at 23rd Avenue in Camelback, Westwood Assembly of God here in the valley. And at that time, I was wanting to get married and find a girl. And I, I, I wanted to go church hopping so that I could do girlfriend shopping. <laughs> and my mom said, no, you're not. You're not going to do that. That's not the purpose of church. I said, come on, mom. The girls here, I can't connect with them really well. They were great girls at that church. But I just didn't have that chemistry or whatever it was. And, and that was my heart. And my mom said, you're not going to do that. In fact, if you're supposed to get married, we'll, we will pray a girl into this church. You need to stay faithful and keep doing what you're doing. And lo and behold, I was teaching the youth group one night. And in walked a gal by the name of Nancy. And she had been invited by a girlfriend of hers at Alhambra High School. So here she shows up, and I go, oh, I'd like to meet her. And so I met her, and as I got to know her, and I dated, certainly had dated, but as I got to know her, I, I began to realize, hey, I, I think she fits my criteria. Now, I had a criteria, even as a, as a young man, uh, I had a criteria because I was born in a Christian home, so I knew that you can't be unequally yoked, and that meant, you know, she needs to be a Christian. There needs to be some character. She needs to not be a character, but have some character. And I also knew, you know, about covenant love. I knew that marriage is, you know, for your whole life. And so she needs to have that same agreement. So as I was kind of working through the criteria and I was talking with her and as we were, you know, courting and had this relationship, uh, I had this kind of, kind of a checklist as I was working through. She had no checklist. That's why she married me. And... Uh, <laughs> No, she had a checklist. She had a checklist. Believe me, she did. I, I tried to jump through all those hoops. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want me to do. But, uh, but as I was working through that, and she really had a checklist too, and we both agreed on so many different things, you know, uh, covenant love, uh, chemistry. We felt there was a great chemistry there. I'm, what, I'm, what I'm giving you here is actually kind of some guidelines of what you look for in a, in a marriage relationship. Communication, conflict resolution, uh, skills, and um, compatibility was really important. C compatibility has to do with things. The more things you have in common, the less conflict you're going to have in your relationship. Does that make sense? And so though it was primitive and it was immature, uh, through the years, it has certainly matured, and, and certainly as we got married, we realized, oh, maybe we don't have as much character as we thought we had. 
So that needed to be developed and our communication skills and conflict resolution skills and all that. Here's my point. God never told me to marry her. Well, he kind of did because I had, a, I had a game plan. I had a set of general guidelines. So I could say, yeah, this was the one for me. But he never told me, that's the one for you. When she walked in, I never got that voice from God said, that's the one. I never got that. And yet now when I look back on 44 years of marriage and 30 years of ministry here at this church, she was the perfect one for me to be married to because of, because of yeah, praise God for that. Uh, she is tough and tender, and I'm not sure that many gals could have endured the hits that we've taken in ministry and in life together. And she has certainly been a strong supporter of all that, all that I've done, all that we've done together. We've done it together. And I, I look at it now, and I'm just I'm amazed at God's work and his hand and his guidance and his leading us. And she couldn't have worked out more perfect is all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> And, and it's, it's absolutely amazing. And then when we started having children, we had decided through this game plan, a set of general guidelines, we're only going to have two children. Uh, we're only going to have two children. And God said, no, you're going to have three children. Now, I won't go into all the details, but, but it was supernatural. It was, it was really crazy. And, and yet, we couldn't be more delighted because of that. And so what happened there was that that was more of an occasional, that occasional specific play. We had the general guidelines, but God said, nope, this is what's going to happen. We go, oh, and we recovered from that after a couple of weeks ago. Oh, okay, you're pregnant. Praise God. Let's move with it. And then when it came to our children's education, we had kind of a game plan because we knew, hey, we're the primary uh, ones responsible for our kids knowing Jesus. And really the goal of parenting is, um, is what? It's, it's responsible adults who love God and people. Yeah, that's kind of a general game plan. And so we said, so how can we best do this? And so for us, because Nancy had really a high skill level of homeschooling, she did a really phenomenal job. By the way, homeschooling is not for everybody. Some people will actually wreck their kids if they homeschool them. Okay, I'm just telling you, because there's this idea out there, you know, everybody has to do homeschooling. No, not everybody does. You gotta find out what your personal conviction is, where your skills are. And so we looked at Nancy's skills. She's a great homeschooler, and she did that up until the kids were in high school, and then we put our kids in private school. But God never told us that specifically, but we were operating from a game plan, this uh, set of general guidelines, and we, th and we really believe that we did the best we could in that. Does that make sense? Okay, and so then when it came to starting Desert Breeze, Nancy and I have been involved in church ministry our whole married life, but God told us to start a church for the unchurched in our home over 30 years ago. Now, this was that occasional specific play. We were already involved in ministry. I was already evangelizing, and God spoke to my heart and spoke to her heart, I want you to start a church. I want you to start a church in your home for the unchurched. And that's what we did. And, and part of that was through personal conviction, too. I departed from my upbringing church because I thought they were kind of heading in a, a different direction. It wasn't a bad direction, but I couldn't... I didn't feel that that's where God was leading me, so I, I departed, kind of like, in some ways, not with, the, with this uh, kind of this sharp disagreement, it was kind of more of a, 
uh, it wasn't a, a disagreement. Well, it wasn't sharp, and I just said, hey, you know what? I think you guys are heading in a different direction than what Nancy and I are going, and I believe that God's leading us in a different direction. And, and it had a, we had a different philosophy of ministry and how God wanted to use us in ministry. And so it was based on some own, our own personal convictions. And so that's why I parted ways with my upbringing and my background. And, um, and so that's part of God's work. Now, here's, here's the point. Here's what you need to understand. God speaks to us through a game plan and an occasional specific play. He still interacts with us in both of those ways. And if you think God's plan for your life is a blueprint rather than a game plan with an occasional specific play, then you will be confused and frustrated in life. If you're looking for him to give you every detail to make, every specific thing, you're going to be confused and frustrated. So he's given you general guidelines you need to live by. And within those general guidelines, I'm telling you, he's going to interact with you to keep you within those general guidelines, but also he will give you specific plays also. That'll have that'll be unique to who you are and how he's created you. And so, does God have a plan for your life? Absolutely. And I don't care what you're going through, he's working in your life. No one loves you like him. And he's got a phenomenal plan for your life, no matter what's going on within your life. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. That's his plan. He's not a restrictor, he's a liberator. So, okay, how does God communicate his plan? Well, Jeremiah 29, 13. I just quoted Jeremiah 29, 11 a couple times. Jeremiah 29, 13, this is what he says. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. So remember at the beginning I said it's, it's less of a plan. Knowing the will of God is less of a plan and more of knowing this person. And so belief in Christ is not just an agreement with facts in the head. It's an appetite for God in the heart that exceeds all other appetites. And so you want to get to know him. Because sometimes people will come to me and say, hey, I'm trying to make a real hard decision. And the first thing I'll say, do you have a relationship with God? Because uh, you need to have a really tight, close, intimate relationship with him. Because it's in that context. That's where he communicates. That's where he leads you. So it's not just like a plan, like a checklist. I go through, okay, I must, I'm doing God's will. No, no, it's a relationship with him. And so let me show you how he speaks to us in that relationship. There's, uh, there's five things here. He speaks to us through, through the word of God, through the spirit of God, the people of God, the providence of God, and the wisdom of God. Let's take each one of those individually here. And so the first one is the word of God. Now, there's a, some verses I want you to write on your notes here. And it's Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. This is what it says. Be very careful then in how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. The days are evil. The enemy is going to get you out of your game, the game plan that God has for you. That's what he's working if he can't get you to not believe in God, he's going to get you off of his game plan and get you frustrated in what are you all about, God? What are you doing? You know, either through difficulties or through the decisions. He's going to try to lead you astray in that. And so, you need to know God's will. Now, I did a study in the scriptures where every place in the New Testament that it says, this is the will of God for you. It says that. This is the will of God for you. And I've got them written down on your notes. So let me just tell you what the will of God is for you, as stated in Scripture. But let me just say before I say this, is this whole book is the will of God. 
okay? So I'm going to give you some specifics here, but you need to always keep in mind this is the will of God, every bit of it. But let me give you specific scriptures here that says that. So it is God's will that you are saved. It's not, God is not willing that any perish, but all come to repentance. That's his will for you. So if you're not saved, you need to get saved. You need to come to faith in Christ. You need to acknowledge your sin that separates you from God, believe that Christ died on the cross for your sins, and confess him as Savior and Lord. Put your faith in him. That's God's will for your life. It's also God's will that you be filled with the Holy Spirit. By the way, I've got verses with each of these. You can look at each, each one of these. It's God's will that you're sanctified. It's God's will that you're full of joy and thanksgiving to God. It's God's will that you submit to authority. By the way, submitting to authority doesn't mean that you negate the highest authority, which is God. Anytime the, the authority you're submitting to violates God's authority, then you're not going to be submitting to that. Does that make sense? Okay, just wanted to make sure you understood that. Now, how you live is more important than, than where you live. If you just followed what I just said, this is the will of God for you, I'm telling you, that would be enough to navigate any problems, difficulties, any decisions in your life. This would be enough right here. If you were just doing what it says in where he says, this is the will of God for you. Get saved, filled with the Spirit, sanctified. By the way, sanctified becomes becoming more like Christ, full of joy and thanksgiving to God and submit to authority. That would be enough. So keep that in mind as you, as you think about the Word of God. There is no plan better than God's plan for your life. There's no plan better than God's plan for your life. The good life is not found in getting your own way, but rather submitting or surrendering to the will of the one who is perfect in love and infinite in wisdom. Submitting to his will. And so... 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, we've talked about this a few times already in this series. All scripture is what? God breathed, the very breath of God, the very words of God. So when you pick up God's word, these are the very words of God. This is the breath of God upon your life. Why breath? Well, the way we talk, it's breath over the vocal cords. We breathe out. When you're talking to somebody, you get close. You can actually feel their breath. Hopefully they have good breath. But I mean, you, you feel their breath because they're talking, they're breathing as they speak across the vocal cords. It's the very breath of God. God speaks to us through his word. We also know that uh, tells us in Hebrews 4.12, God's word is alive and powerful. It's living and active. It's the very presence of God. So not just the breath of God, but the very presence of God. So here's a couple questions for you as it relates to God's word and God speaking to us is this, are you finding scripture to be alive and active? Instead of just being a book, do you feel like scripture is coming after you? Are you finding certain biblical promises extremely precious and encouraging? Are you finding God challenging you and calling you to something through his word? Now I know it's, it's a hard book to study, I got it. That's why we do a class. I did a class this last summer. We had 100 participants in that class, How to Study the Bible. We're going to try to do that again uh, soon. But uh, and I, I, it's hard. But I'm telling you, that's why we do what we do here on weekend services. I've outlined the text for you. I'm giving you all these Bible verses. I even give you growing notes. So take that and begin to work through that. We even have groups in our church that get together and go through the growing notes. And, and if you could start your own group. Just get together with a few friends and say, hey, listen to this message, let's sit down, let's work through the growing notes. I'm telling you, God will speak to you. 
as you work through the growing notes. There's enough material in the growing notes to last you all week long. And then we will give you another, another bunch of notes the next week. And each week, each week. And, uh, and so there you have it. So he speaks to us through the Word of God, also the Spirit of God. I did a teaching uh, as we were going through the John series, John chapter 14, verses 18 through 26, the promised Holy Spirit. Bradley did a teaching on John uh, 16, 4 through 15, the work of the Holy Spirit. Those two messages are still online. You can go and really try to understand the work of the Holy Spirit, how he speaks. Let me uh, give you a verse here, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So think about this. How does the Holy Spirit speak to us? How does he speak to us? I've got it right there on your notes. Through thoughts, ideas, impressions, gut feelings, and even a whisper. Now, you got to discern if it's truly God or it's you or it's the enemy. And so we're going to talk about that further in this series. But this is one of the ways he speaks to us. Thoughts, ideas, impressions, gut feelings, or a whisper. I put whisper there because in 1 Kings 19.12, the prophet, God spoke to the prophet through a gentle whisper. I like the King James version of that. It says, a still, small voice. If you will get still and get small, you will hear his voice. Problem is, is that we don't take out enough time to be still. And we're not too small either. We're not that needy. We're not that humble. And therefore, it kind of keeps us from really hearing his voice. It tells us in Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. I like one of the paraphrases. It says, it's like, says it like this. Step out of the traffic and take a long, loving look at me, your high God. And what we've got to do is ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our life. We've got to just sit still and relax. That's really hard for me to do. I got a whole list of things I got to do. But if you're not taking out time every day just to sit in the presence of God and enjoy his presence and speak to him and allow him to speak to you, you're not going to hear his voice. We got too much noise in our life. I mean, put the phone aside unless the phone helps you to hear his voice. But, you know, what are you doing to quiet yourself so you can hear his voice? He also speaks to us through dreams and visions. Acts 2.17 is the fulfillment of Joel, the prediction found in Joel 2.28. Listen to what it says. And in the last days, what days are those? What? They're right now. We're living in the last days. Uh, the last days started with the first coming of Christ, and they'll end with the second coming of Christ, okay? So we're in the last days, so these are those days... So in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Uh, Visions happen during the day, and dreams happen at night. So that's why old men dream dreams. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) young men just see visions. And so, Desert Breeze is the product of both a dream and a vision. 
God will speak to me from time to time from a dream. He, he gave me a very significant dream last year that was very helpful, very protective. He forewarned me. He was making sense of a situation. It was a pretty rough year as it was anyway. It helped me tremendously, the dream. He doesn't speak to me a lot through dreams, but he, he did speak to me through that dream. He speaks to us through prophecy. Prophecy is not so much predicting the future as much as it is proclaiming God's plan and perspective in the present. Now, some of you have probably prophesied before and you just didn't know it. You're sitting down with a friend that's really struggling and you were able to speak truth to them that brought perspective to their life and they were able to make sense of the chaos that was going on. You were speaking prophetically to them. It might have just been in a general way. You didn't have to say, hey, thus saith the Lord. This is what God's doing. No, you just begin to speak it. Maybe it brought tears to their eyes. They go, wow, that was really helpful. Thank you so much. That was speaking prophetically. And, and so God uses us like that. You got the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You got words of wisdom. I've been in elder meetings before where one of the elders says, how about we do this? And everybody goes, whoa, that was brilliant. And then we realized it didn't actually come from that person because we know that person too well. And uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, it says, that was the Holy Spirit. You know, we just kind of know. It's like, wow, that's good. You know, and I, I've been in elder meetings like that where it was like, that was the Holy Spirit. And, and it just kind of... We, real, we all realize it and said, yeah, that's the direction we need to go. And then knowledge, words of knowledge. Uh, it, I've been counseling people before, talking with people, and God will drop something in my heart about what's going on in this person's life, and, and I begin to share that with them, and it, it makes an impact in their life. You got the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Have anybody here ever had anybody that you'd like to choke them out? Anybody have a list of people like that? Okay. You struggle with trying to love somebody? that they're hateful, they're angry, they're bitter, they're like, they attack you, they don't like you. I had a neighbor like that a number of years ago, and I wanted to work him over. But as I thought about it, as a Christian, that doesn't sound good, and as a pastor, ooh, I know. That's not a good idea at all. Pastor beats up neighbor. Um, no, it wouldn't go well. And I was brokenhearted over it, because I had such harshness and and such anger in my heart. And I fell on my knees and poured my heart out to God. And I'm telling you, supernaturally, God gave me a love for that guy. And later on, his wife got cancer. My wife and I took him a meal. And I would have never been able to do that before. And he was still hateful. He was still hateful. It didn't matter. I was going to continue to reach out and be loving. I was going to have good boundaries. You know, and you have to have good boundaries in that. But that was very much the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then there's supernatural manifestations. Uh, I've got a whole list here. Exodus 3, burning bush. Judges 6, Gideon's fleece. Acts 8, an angel of the Lord speaks to Philip. Acts 9, Saul on the Damascus road. Numbers 22, God spoke to Balaam through a donkey. Anybody familiar with that story? Isn't that interesting? My wife Nancy says that God speaks through a donkey every weekend at Desert Breeze. She shouldn't talk about the other pastors like that. I know she wasn't talking about me. And then there's natural manifestations. Psalm 19, Romans 1, God can speak through mountains and water and trees and meadows and landscapes. How many have done that? You've, you've gotten rid of the hurry in your life long enough to, to gaze at a sunset. And you just sat out there and you, and you did that. And you go, oh. 
and God was speaking to your heart and you're thinking, if this sunset is so glorious, how much more glorious must God be? If this is this beautiful, how much more beautiful God is, the creator of all of these things. God speaks to us through the Holy Spirit. And then the people of God. So you got the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God, counselors and friends. I hate to say it, but my wife, uh, God speaks through my wife to me a lot. I don't like it. <laughs> and I'll say, that's not God. But I know in my heart it is God. And so my, my wife is used by God to speak to me, and I, she, God uses me to speak to her. She's more receptive than I am. I'm just saying. And so we need to be around people that it's okay for them to speak truth to us in love. If it's not in love, just say, hey, could you say that in a little nicer tone? Right now, I don't think you love me much. You're just trying to get your point across. But you kind of work through that. But counselors and friends, it says, without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Now, here's a good one. Hebrews 3, 12 through uh, 13. Take care. So it's a warning here that he's giving us. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Remember what I said. People defect from the faith because they're, um, they're disillusioned by the, uh, the difficulties of life or they're deceived by the decisions in life, thinking that they're going to be happier by taking decisions outside of God's will. So he's just saying, hey, beware. You don't want to be led astray from the living God fall away from the living God. How do we keep from that happening? By this, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You need people in your life. I know in our rugged individualism environment where anonymity and individuality is high value, that's getting us killed in our culture. We need to be around people that are speaking truth to us other than our spouses. We need to have friends that speak truth to us. And that's what he's saying. It'll keep us from a lot of problems. Now, when you seek wise, godly counsel, you're not asking them to hear God for you, but to prayerfully confirm that what you've heard from the Lord is correct. Does that make sense? So you're not codependent to say, I need you to hear God for me. No, no, no. Am I getting this right? That's what you're asking. And they can confirm that or not. And, and also gifted teachers, Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. Beware of imbalanced or bad or false teachers. Be like the Bereans. They were more noble than the Thessalonians because they studied the scriptures daily to see if what the Apostle Paul was teaching was the word of God. I mean, think about this. Apostle Paul, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, and they're putting him to task. They're saying, hey, dude, is this really of the Bible? Oh, we're going to check it out. You guys need to do the same thing for us and for me here. And that's found in Acts 17.11. So you got the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God, and now you got the providence of God. That's open and closed doors, opportunities and obstacles. 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9, but I will stay in Ephesus, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You hear what he's saying? He's not saying, hey, God told me to do this. He's just saying, man, there's a greater opportunity. I'm going to hang out here for a while. This is an open door. It looks like God's given us great opportunity here. 
Proverbs 21.31 says, the horse is made ready for battle, but victory is in, belongs to the Lord. So just keep that in mind. I mean, you could start a business and pour all your heart, soul into that business and it still not succeed, but that's up to the Lord, whether it succeeds or fails. He's the one that opens and closes doors. Does that make sense? But you still do the very best you can. You do the very best you can. You go with how he's leading you, and then you leave the results in his hands. That's not always easy, but you've got to do that. Let me tell you a quick story here how, uh, how I got on the fire department. I worked construction for a number of years. I was part of Local 469. There's a few folks that uh, are part of that local union here work uh, that are in our fellowship. And I was a pipe fitter welder, worked out of Palo Verde for a number of years. I knew that I'd be on the road for the most part. I loved ministry and I loved my family. And I knew that that was gonna take me out on the road a lot. And I started thinking, you know, this is making a good living for my family, but I think there's a better way that I can make a living. And I had some buddies that were firefighters, talked with them a little bit. And so I decided, you know what, I'm gonna pursue the fire department, Phoenix Fire. And so I started working hard and they had a big test that came out early in the year. And I studied hard and did well on the test. And then they invited me out to a physical agility test, did well on the physical agility test. And then they invited me to an oral board where I felt like I did really well on the oral board. I did the best I could. And then at the end of the year, I got a card in the mail and said, better luck next year. And I was like, uh, and I took a lot of time off to do that. When you work construction, you take time off, you lose that money. There's no sick leave, there's no paid vacations, there's none of that. And uh, it's feast, feast or famine, really, in a lot of ways. And so I took a lot of time off, and my wife and I decided, we talked about it, we prayed about it. I said, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to do it. I said, that's it. That's, that's the end of my pursuit of the fire department. I would just consider this a closed door. Anyway, January, then heading into February, came around. My wife was at a Bible study one night. I was bathing the kids in the bathtub, and the phone rang. Now, this isn't a cell phone. They didn't have cell phones in those days. This is that phone on the, on the wall. You know those crank phones on the wall? Uh, it wasn't a crank phone. It was just a regular phone. We don't even know what that is anymore. Uh, but anyway, but I went to the phone, and, and the guy said, I'm Chief so-and-so from Phoenix Fire, we have recently annexed Ahwatukee and the class that we're getting ready to start here in February, we're needing to add six people to that class. And you were on the alternate list. You scored well enough that you weren't part of the original class, but you're part of the alternate class that we're drawing from to add the six people to the class. Would you be willing to work with us? We can have you in the fire academy in two weeks. I didn't know I was on an alternate list. I thought that was all over. He calls me up one night and I go, absolutely. <laughs> Told my wife, she goes, wow, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. I guess that is an open door. God closed it and then he all of a sudden opened it. Miraculously, to show me that it was him doing it and not me. Do you hear me? And so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. That's, that was the message that I got from that. It wasn't me, man. That was you, God. And so I got in the fire academy. While I was in the fire academy, I was attending church, and that was when the Lord put on my heart to start Desert Breeze. Because a lot of firefighters, got a firefighter, retired firefighter sitting on the front row here, and um, I actually worked with her out on the job. She's one hard worker, really a great firefighter. And, and so... Um, 
firefighters work 24 on, 48 off. A lot of them have side jobs. And so I thought, well, my side job will be a church. I'll plant a church. We'll plant a church. We'll reach people with the gospel and uh, people that are unchurched. And, and as I look out over the 30 years, I, I just think of the, just what God has done here. It's just absolutely amazing. It's beyond my wildest dream, better than what I deserve. Thousands and thousands of people have committed their life to Christ through Desert Breeze. We see a lot of people getting baptized, take a lot of people through our DB Life class. It's absolutely amazing what God has done here at Desert Breeze. And, that was, and, and so, so if you got saved here... Uh, then uh, you got saved because Abatuki got annexed. <laughs> and I got a job, and then God put on my heart on that job to start Desert Breeze, and the rest is history. That's the providential hand of God. Hallelujah. So your salvation is based on the annexing of Abatuki. So it's, it's quite fascinating. So open, open and closed doors, he uses pleasure and pain. Did you know that every good and perfect gift comes from God? It says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. James 1, 16 and 17, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Idolatry occurs when anything created to point to God replaces God in the thoughts and desires of our heart. And so God uses pleasure in our life to point to the greater pleasure that is God. He also uses pain. Listen to what it says in Psalm 119. It was good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your decrees. I think of the life of Joseph too. Remember Joseph? Story, Genesis. I mean, he had a dream that he was going to be ruling over his brothers and parents, and he kind of rubbed it in their face. He wasn't very kind about that dream. And, and so he had a lot of pride, but that dream was going to come true. But the brothers had a lot of animosity toward Joseph, and so he went out to check on them one day, and what did they do? They stripped him of his clothes, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. And through the providential hand of God, God took Joseph from the pit to prison over about 15 years, from the pit to prison to the palace, second in command over Egypt. And lo and behold, guess who shows up? His brothers, because the whole land is in famine and they're desperate. And so in, in Genesis 50, 20, Joseph looks into the eyes of his brothers with total forgiveness and says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good for what is now being done, the saving of many lives, the providential hand of God. Because Joseph had a lot of pride, he needed some character help, and so God provided that for him <laughs> by having his brothers strip him of his clothes, throw him in a pit, he went from pit to prison, and then he went to the palace. And God used all of that in his life. God speaks to us through our circumstances. You got the, you got the example of Jonah. Chapters 1 through 4, God spoke to Jonah with his voice, but Jonah didn't heed God's voice, so God spoke to Jonah through his circumstances by being swallowed up by a fish. So the difficulties don't necessarily mean a wrong turn. They did with Jonah, they may mean a right turn. Difficulties may mean a right turn. The difficulties of your life are not in the way of God's plan. They are part of God's plan to make you whole. 
He's working. Two questions you need to ask as you go through difficulties, trying to make those decisions. What is God doing? How should I respond? When you go through difficulties, what is God doing? How should I respond? How you answer these questions determines the character of your faith and the direction of your life. That's why it tells us in James 1, 2 through 4, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of many kinds because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance have its perfect work in you so that you might be complete and perfect, lacking in nothing. He's working for your wholeness. He, he has your best interest at heart. C.S. Lewis said it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks to us in our conscience, but shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And then we got the wisdom of God. So you got the word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God, the providence of God, and now you've got the wisdom of God, how he speaks to us. Wisdom is seeing and responding to life from God's perspective. There's a whole section of Scripture called the wisdom literature. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Now, what is wisdom? Well, it tells us in Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Here's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is a, is a joyful awe and wonder of the beauty and the glory of who Christ is and what he's done for you that ruins you for anything else. If you fear God, you will fear nothing or no one else. That's really... Many times our problems, we make dumb decisions because of fear. But if we're walking in this relationship with him and we fear God, we're not going to fear anything else. Wisdom is knowledge rightly applied. Knowledge is research and investigating the facts. Luke 14, 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? So whether it's buying a car, changing careers, looking for a spouse, we need to do our homework. Don't blame God when you haven't done your homework. Proverbs 19, uh, 2 through 3 actually says, zeal without knowledge misses the way. And then we turn and blame God for our mess. I see that happen all the time. So don't do that. But work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Take the truth of who God is, what he's done for you, and apply it to every area of your life. There are two questions we need to answer if we're going to successfully navigate not only the difficulties of life, but the decisions of life. Does God have a plan for my life? Yes, absolutely. It is not a blueprint, but a game plan with an occasional specific play. How does God communicate that plan to us? The word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God, the providence of God, and the wisdom of God. Next weekend, touching the Father's heart, Psalm 95. We're going to talk about how worship helps us to hear God's voice. And um, I'm, I'm going to be up front at the end of the service along with any available elders. And if you're new, we'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. If you'd like to commit your life to Jesus, if you've never done that before, we'd love to pray with you right here at the end of the service. We'll pray with you. If you've got any questions, we'd also like to answer those questions for you. Let's pray. Would you bow your heads with me? So, Father God, there is no plan better than your plan for our lives you are not a restrictor, but a liberator in every way. The good life is not found in getting our way, but rather in surrendering to your plan for our lives. So we pray, Psalm 8611, teach us your way, O Lord, that we may walk in your truth. Give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name. We ask these things for our joy and your glory in Jesus' beautiful name. And everyone said, amen. Love you guys.